it time? This is the My New Norm podcast. And I'm your host, Barry Scott Young. Culture is a set of attitudes, values, beliefs, behaviors, and cultural norms shared by a group of people communicated from one generation to the next. In this episode, we'll talk about cultural changes. You'll hear from Austin and Brittany Shywe, a young couple from Southern California now living full-time in Stellenbosch, South Africa. And the subject is cultural changes. And when I think about that, I don't know of any other couple that has experienced more changes dealing with culture, leaving your old norm, developing a new. And uh, I, I'm just excited to talk to both of you. So just a little history here. Let's start with Austin. Give us a little bit of background um, of who you were before you got married, what you, what you were thinking life is going to be, and then... Uh, we'll ask the same to Brittany, and then let's see where we go from there. In our yeah, that sounds great. First off, thanks, Barry, for having us here. It's really great to see you. Um, yeah, so to answer your question, um, as a young young boy, I became really fascinated with cultures that were unlike my own um, and was mm. always just hungry to know more and more information about places that were really different from my hometown. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most different that I could come up with as a young young boy was China. So I became really interested in China, took ended up taking the first opportunity I could to travel to China with a with a missions program and do some English wow. teaching there. Uh, and uh, what year was that? That must have been in 2004. 2004. Yeah. Okay. And then okay. ended up going back to China um, over and over again over the next few years before I moved there for university. And I think I just, before being married, really had this idea that I was going to be living overseas, serving the Lord in some kind of way, whether it be at the time I was convinced okay. it was going to be in China. Um, but God had other plans, and, and uh, I think that He's rerouted us in a lot of ways. Nice, Brittany. What about you? If you could uh, give us a little bit of information where your head was before marriage, and what you thought life was going to uh, be. Happily, we'll do that. I, I think. Since I was really young, I always loved the Lord and was really involved in church and youth group and at 14 got involved um, leading worship. And that really took up a lot of my attention and 
energy and my interest. I really yeah. loved that. And so for a, a long while, I really didn't have a lot of ideas that were super clear on what I wanted to do long term. But I knew that I always wanted to have something to do mm-hmm. with music. Um, and and I, I love being a part of the church, but I, I actually really didn't want to do missions work um, full time. And that's something uh, I did have exposure right. to and just decided I didn't want that for my life. Um, and then when I got to college, um, I I had studied American Sign Language. And so that really exposed mm. me to a lot of um, just different people. I mean, I also had worked with different kids with special needs um, that I think was one of the most crucial things in my life as far as developing a lot of character and patience and just, again, exposing me to different ways of life, different family cultures and um, just different ways that people live their life. And um, and then when I got into sign language, I, I really loved learning more about deaf culture. And for a long while, for years, I really wanted to, um, I thought I was going to spend my life doing that in some capacity. I was, I did work as an interpreter for about three years in an elementary school. Um, and I loved it so much. Um, I definitely thought maybe long-term I would do something with maybe, um, like a training side of things or maybe the research side of how to support families, um, hearing parents who maybe have deaf children or, um, yeah, just, just, there wasn't a lot of really good resources at that point. And I, in my mind, I had like, you know, firsthand, um, experience with seeing what their hardships were. And I really wanted to be involved in some way, um, to help, you know, expand what resources were available on and just learn like how to support families that didn't have support in the mainstream kind of way. Um, but what is there a story that or an experience that helped you to connect your passion to communicate that way? I, I, I remember a story from you were working a job. Oh, and yeah. It was, uh, it was before. I think. Are you talking about the company I worked for? Yes. Yeah, that was actually really yes. pivotal. Um, I had just started studying sign language on my own. So this was before I went back to, I had taken a couple years off of studying and I was working full time at an online school uniform company randomly. And, um, so none of our client care was in person. Everything was online. Um, and Mm. we had a super small office in San Diego, but there was this one day where we had, um, one of the parents come in, she was one of our customers and she, I guess, had really struggled with doing one of her returns online. Um, and so she just thought she'd come into the office and just try to get help in person. Um, and so she walked into our office and it ended up actually that she was deaf. And I, like I said, I had only been studying on my own, just vocabulary and really basic grammar. But but actually that morning when I was driving to work, there was this hill I drive over it's in Solana beach and I would drive over this hill and then see the ocean. And it was just a really sweet time. Mm. I love that view. And I was praying that morning on the way to work and just asking God, you know, Lord, I have this passion for 
what I'm learning about, of you know, this deaf culture and people I'm meeting, but on, or people I could meet, but I honestly, I hadn't, I hadn't known one deaf person up in my life up until that point at wow. all. And so it didn't really make sense to me how any of this would fit in because it just was not my life at all. Um, so I just, I gave it to him and I felt the Lord respond like, just, I just felt peaceful. And so when I went into work that day and then maybe a couple hours in, there's this woman who came in, ended up, she was deaf and I was able to help her. And that's not like a hero story, but really the significant part for me was that when she left, um, I, I remember just crying at the end and feeling like God said, you don't need to worry about the details of how this is going to fit in to your life. Um, I'm going to provide the the direction for you to take the steps that you need, you know, that you just can't see yet. And it ended up that I, I did go back to school, studied sign language, and ended up getting to know the amazing people in the deaf community in San Diego. And my whole life really took a shift there. And I think even though I only worked in wow. that um, capacity for a few years, it was about six or seven years of my life with studying. Um, and I think it, it, it was very crucial for me to, to have that experience because what I gained from it actually, you know, we get into later, but I, I, I feel like God was building on that with even the capacity that we live in today, you yeah. know, cross-culturally. Yeah. Well, so far, Austin was yeah. thinking China and you were thinking helping uh, communicate mm-hmm. or interpreting yeah, for the deaf. So all of a sudden your expectations of life, what you were expecting to happen, changed. So now you guys zip through, mm-hmm. you got married. How long were you married before you moved to South Africa? We got married in 2011 at the very beginning. And we moved. Oh, one we yeah. January 1st, one. 2011. Easy to remember. Yeah. And then we moved... Uh, on June fifteenth, twenty seventeen. So, it's a, it's about six and a half years. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, everybody knows uh, not only in the beginning of a marriage, but in a marriage, mm-hmm. there's adjustments, there's learning, all that stuff. Um, how many years did you two prep? for leaving your culture to live in another what kind of preparation we had i had just we were part of a church called all people's church and located in san diego and i had just gone through their school of transformation it's like a discipleship school and um just really encountered god in a really profound way in that in that place and then at the end of that school this would have been the middle of 2015, we went on a, well, I went on a short-term outreach and with related to that school. And they said, Hey, you should bring along your spouse. And so Brittany and I both ended up in South Africa, helping, helping to scout this place for a longer term church plan. And we had mm-hmm. absolutely no intention of being there longer term. In fact, we both would have said, Hey, this is perfectly random. <laughs> We're going here just as a support. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that was 2015. We ended up, it's a longer story, but we ended up 
being invited to join that team the middle of 2015 to church in South Africa. Okay. We said yes. And then, so at that point, it began a long, uh, Brittany ended up going through that same school of transformation, discipleship school. We both went through church planting school training, and then we began raising funds to move overseas. So the entire process was about two years from the yes to the landing. on Yeah. About two years. Okay. And anyone can answer this. Um, the time in preparation and uh, trying to be intentional about the changes that were going to come to you and your family. Uh, what do you wish you had more of that you didn't really think about, or there, there was hardly any training for what the things you experienced? Wow. I think, I mean, I would want to think about that another minute, but my first thought is just to give some maybe understanding for our experience in the preparation was it, it kind of felt mm. a little bit like an engagement season where you're in this leaving of one season about to enter another one. And so I think a lot of times we felt um, like, well, let's get all the training and the preparation mentally, emotionally, spiritually that yeah. we need. But oftentimes you're not even really quite sure what that should be. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, I think in hindsight, we could probably answer a little bit more, but I think even in hindsight, we would answer that very specifically to what our context is, you know, in South Africa, um, that I'm not sure anyone could really prepare us for fully, you know, so, so maybe, maybe it would be more conversation and preparation around the idea of expectations, you know, of just holding everything loosely, every, even every thought you have even your, cause we had gone to South Africa twice before we moved there. So, you know, we had some kind of grid for what life would be like there, but two trips that are two weeks long at a time is very different, than, you know, yeah. moving there, landing there. So yeah, right. I think I wish I would have known to hold even my experiences loosely and say, Hey, this might not be accurate. Um, an accurate representation of what life, um, will be like, you know? Right. So, um yeah okay here's a here's another question just wanting to know here um what would you say your perspective looking back of the first 90 (laughs) days of south africa let's start with austin my perspective in the first 90 days in south africa wow so I mean, we landed in what's the winter of, you know, the Southern Hemisphere. So in June. And so in Stellenbosch, the weather is pretty chilly, pretty gloomy. It's kind of rainy in the winter. And there we were. We didn't know anybody except for the couple that we had moved there with uh, as we were part of the team with. So it was it was a pretty lonely, isolating experience. You know, we we didn't have a grid for the area. We didn't know um, we didn't know much about you know how to navigate that place as as people who were going to be living there. Uh, We ended up living in I want to say five different places before. By the end of ninety days, we had we had moved (laughs) I think five times. 
Oh because my. <laughs> because we needed to find an appropriate place Were to live. Just not we good up... renters or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no. Nope. Yeah, we didn't get kicked out. We were staying in different Airbnbs um, that had different lengths of time available, and uh, we ended up inside uh, of that ninety days moving in with our our um, our friends, uh, Ricky and Tiffany, who lead the church plant, and uh, they found a spot to move their family in, and we moved in with them, and soon after that found a place to live. But inside that 90 days, I think there was so much transition, so much learning. Where's the bank? Where's, where's the stuff we need in the grocery store? Uh, you know, making connections with people. We, we had just left a vibrant, vibrant community of people. We were, you know, had a lot of deep connections with, Mm -hmm. and now we found ourselves in a town where we knew essentially zero people and every relationship we had was wow. less than 90 days old. <laughs> so. yeah. Wow. Wow. So in the midst, oh, let's ask, ask uh, Brittany your perspective in the first 90 Yeah, I think days. it was um, the intensity of moving there. Like he said in the winter, there's a very... I mean, even the spiritual atmosphere, but even, I mean, even just the cultural atmosphere in winter, people are a lot more in hibernation. And so, um, we had gone there and it just felt like a lot of things were on pause. People weren't really in their rhythm, you know, when the sun was out. And, um, and so it felt. And that's, this is, yeah, exactly. This is just there. Yeah, exactly. Just, yeah, yeah, it's a little slower. Um, people are inside more, but I think that first three months was, you know, you're moving there with so much zeal and maybe this even goes into answering the last question too, but you're, you're moving to this new place with a lot of zeal, a lot of vision, a lot of excitement. And the reality is you're not really jumping into that right away because there's like he was saying, there's logistical Mm -hmm. things, there's administrative things that you have to take care of to even live somewhere. So you know, we were learning a lot the hard way of, you know, even the pace <laughs> of um, admin there or, you know, hours that the home affairs is open or you need a permanent address to open a bank account, but you can't have that without this. And so I think we just um, kind of yeah. stumbled a lot. And like he said, we moved around a lot and that was a little unsettling, you know, because you're living out of suitcases. Um, So it was challenging. And I think on a spiritual level, even we were confronting um, in a lot of ways, the end of ourselves that I think is really the grace of God that that didn't just end after the 90 days, but it kind of felt like the 90 days was this pressure cooker of really deciding what, what is the posture of our heart going to be now in the reality of living you know, in a new dynamic um, where your whole life is different, your community is different, the way businesses run is different, the driving's different, the everything is different. Yeah, wrong. Yeah, so that was scary for a little bit, but at least that does click in quickly. But um, yeah, I think on a deeper level, that first three months really was exposing for us of um, probably even how, um, how much we really we really needed to encounter the Lord on a deeper level than we had before. And, you know, and uh, we were, you know, not, not anything bad about 
living in the States and how we depend on the Lord, but it's a different kind of pressure that just requires a different kind of posture, you know, and you're challenged mm-hmm. in ways Wow. in a new place, in a new culture that you're just not, you don't get that same pressure when you're living in your same culture and you know how businesses run and you know driving, you have a gut instinct for, you know, pedestrians and the way cars drive and, you know, you just feel really vulnerable in those first three months. And, um, yeah, Yeah. there were, we, we did make some connections in, in those first three months and some, you know, started building some relationships that are still dear friends today. Um, and I remember on a few occasions, me just going out and doing something that was particularly felt quite normal for me, like going on a walk in a certain, you know, out in a certain way or like crossing over a certain area and then later talking about it with these South African friends Mm -hmm. and then being like, yeah, do not do that Mm -hmm. again, please. (laughs) Like, because what you're doing. Like stay away from that area. You're developing (laughs) the common sense of the new place you're going. So we didn't didn't have that. We didn't have Ah. the ability to. As, a, as somebody inside of, if you're talking with someone who's inside of your own culture, you can quickly pick up cues, the language they use, the tone that they use. The, there's a lot of context there. Yeah, and nonverbals. Yeah, but then you go to a new place there. You can't trust your own. You, you know that there's a lot that you don't know. And so you have to learn to live inside right. that context and know how to, how to determine and have the common sense of that, mm-hmm. that cultural dynamic. You know that phrase that's um, the more you learn, the more you real realize you have a lot to learn. I feel like that that was like, yeah. Was that your honestly? Poster? That was it was really humbling, and I mean, it wasn't just not you know it didn't end being humbling after three months, but that was just the shock of of a lot of it, you know. Yeah. Can you give us a a moment when you felt like? Where am I? And I feel like this is uh, life threatening. Mm. Uh, like I'm thinking yeah, of it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the story. Yeah. <laughs> Let me see if I can give you some clues. Sure, yes. okay, I'll tell actually, you, I'll I think tell there's you a story. couple different situations, but yeah, actually, oh, is there? Yeah, the it is. It is crazy. Um, I think the one you're referring to is so I was. Yeah, I was in Kayamundi, um, which is the township. So Stellenbosch, just to give a little bit of context to the listeners, is a lot like, um, so it's a university town. There's a lot of wealth there, It's a, but it's quite small. And then mm-hmm. surrounding it mm-hmm. uh, and like sort of intertwined with it is Kayamundi, which is a township. It's a, it's a very impoverished area, people living in tin shacks and um, and have it lacking a lot of resources. Um, and so that altogether is called Stellenbosch. And so it's quite dynamic, interesting place. It's actually just even for this conversation, when we talk about cultural differences, Stellenbosch in itself has some extreme contrast of cultural difference. So there's the hmm. Afrikaans, uh, mostly white people and black people who speak Kosa and are in the township mostly. And so there's a lot of cultural dynamic, even as of us as Americans stepping in and out of two different cultural dynamics inside of that place. So uh, we, we were walking in Kayamundi. That's the 
the township area. And <clears throat> I was actually helping to lead a little tour through there of a short-term team that we had. Basically, because they were going to be serving in that area, they needed to be able to see it. And um, there was a man walking, a good friend of ours, Odwa, was leading out the tour group at the front. And then I was I was sort of uh, keeping up the back. And there was there were three men in the area who saw me as a target and uh, picked me off and, and uh, used a knife to try to get some things out of my pockets. And I ended up getting cut up a little bit on my hands, got a little jab in my hip wow. and, um, and they got away with like a little phone, but otherwise we were totally fine. Yep. Wow. Wow. And you had told me not long after that the first thing you really felt to do was to go back to that area. Yeah. So, I mean, we're there in a church planting capacity. We, we love these people, uh, love South Africa. And we weren't going to let a tactic of the enemy, which is fear, stop us from engaging in yeah. what we're meant to engage with. And so actually we immediately stopped the tour and, uh, and left. And we actually had a worship time we we worshipped for a long time. We prayed over those men who had had attacked, and um, and we just had a time where we really just pressed in. And honestly, as the person who was attacked, I I didn't feel any particular anger towards those men. Or uh, uh, what I, what I felt in that moment was wow. God protected me in this amazing way, and uh, that could have gotten a lot worse. In fact, in South Africa, it often, unfortunately, does get a lot worse, and and, um, and God protected me in the midst of that, and I felt just an overwhelming thankfulness and ex- gratitude. And uh, the next day, yeah, we went business as normal, went back into Kayamundi to, to minister there in the same ways that we had planned to. Mm-hmm. Um, there was... You know, to be honest, some some you know having to get over a little bit of you know shaky feelings in my spirit and and walking past those same places where where the attack occurred were was a little bit jarring at first, but uh, but the Lord really made that smooth. And in fact, what was won in the midst of that, what what we got in in victory in the midst of that was much deeper relationship with our brothers and sisters in Kayamundi, I remember, you know, that being one of those situations where, you know, somebody might experience that and then be like, never mind, I'm out. I don't want to be part of this any longer. Um, but we just jumped back in. I think that said a lot to to our friends there yeah. in, in Kayamundi. It also helped at least me personally relate to their everyday experiences in a, in a, in a deeper way which are often much more dramatic than what I experienced. Yeah, you know? much more common. Yeah. So it really empowered you. It, it kind of set your feet on, yeah. I'm here, I'm not leaving. Uh, it's interesting, it happened in the township of uh, Kalamunde. Isn't that where the, you actually... Yeah, it's Kayamunde. It actually means nice home. Yeah, this is my show. So I think it's um, it's actually the location 
where the it's church true, is yeah. today. Um, at the time, we were just a little house church in a living room in another part of town. Yeah. And we, after a little while, just praying and discerning what the Lord wanted us to do, felt really strongly that he was guiding us to, to start a public service, like a Sunday model service. And we, he directed us to mm-hmm. a venue that's in Kayamundi uh, called Amazink. So, and we, yeah, we started a Sunday service there. And it's been amazing. Wow. Uh, oh, I'm just saying it, it's ahead. been amazing to be there. And again, it's the whole, the more you learn, the more you realize you have a lot to learn. <laughs> Being yeah. in Kaimundi is, yeah. is, has been a really beautiful, good experience. To touch on a little bit of the culture, culture, the languages that are spoken kind of divide up the people. They, they, separate everyday life. What are some of those languages that are there? Yeah. So South Africa has 11 national languages, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, The languages that are represented in Stellenbosch are basically Afrikaans and Kosa and English. Wait, wait, is that a little bit? Yeah. So the, the language in, you would spell it in English X H O S A, and that X H makes a mm-hmm. sound. I'm if any there if there are any Kosa speakers listening, <laughs> I apologize for not doing it perfectly, but it it sounds a lot like um, like a click that you would do to sort of get the attention of a horse, like a in the side of your mouth. So Kosa, yeah, yeah, and yeah, the- or it could be. A script from the guys must be crazy. <laughs> yeah, fun fact: Kosa is spoken in Black Panther. That's the language that they speak yeah. in that movie. So that's a little claim to fame. Ah. Nelson Mandela was a Kosa speaker. Okay, and so it's a beautiful language, and yeah. and it, most people in the in Kayamundi would speak Kosa as their first language. Okay. Not only me, but I'm sure the uh, listeners want to hear a little bit. So why don't you say something? Diavuyu kukwaz. Eminim nandi. Yeah. Those are small <laughs> phrases, but. Yeah. Yeah. All of these phrases, like, it's nice to meet you. I hope you have a nice day. Jesus loves you. Yeah. My Kosa has a lot of room. How do you ask for coffee? Uh, you could say di trela ikofu. So di trela ikofu. Nice. I love it. Wow. I would probably never end up in another country halfway around the world. But I have challenges to cultural changes in my life, though. I, ha- I may have encountered a new boss that has taken over, yeah. or I'm remarried in a new family, and all of a sudden I don't have three kids. Yeah. I got eight. Absolutely. A blended family can be a yeah. cultural change. Uh, what would you say to them or to really anyone to encourage them 
to think about what they can do and not dwell on what they can't yeah, control. I think that's a great question. And I, I think if more people ask that, um, things would go a lot smoother, you know, living among people. We can't really escape people, you know. So um, mm-hmm. one of the best pieces of advice I was given uh, right before we moved was from a missionary. Um, I think she was in Syria. I can't remember the exact place, but she told me there, there was something she kept getting so frustrated by. And it was that people kept walk when they would walk into buildings, it would be freezing outside blizzard kind of weather. And, um, she would walk into buildings and she thought it was so rude that people wouldn't hold the door open for you. And she, they would just slightly open the door and, um, walk inside just enough room to squeeze in. And one thing she told me, I mean, she was so irritated by it. And she, one thing she learned was to ask a question, whatever is most frustrating to you about the culture, instead of thinking you understand why they're doing it, just figure out why they do it. And when she did that, she realized that her value clashed with what their values were. And her value was it's polite to hold the door for the next person. I mean, it's cold outside, let them in. But their value was it was in a totally different paradigm of it's rude to keep the door open because it's letting the cold inside and everyone inside is going to suffer. And so once she learned that their motive wasn't to be rude or selfish, their motive was actually to be selfless and just have enough room to squeeze their body in and make sure everyone's warm inside. She then started to learn how compassion and care was really manifested in the culture she was living in. And that was different than the culture she came into. And so I think for, for ourselves and for people who maybe, First of all, I think to recognize that you're facing cultural changes, you know, in a job or in a blended family or in a new neighborhood. Sometimes I think we get easily frustrated because we don't understand um, because we're assuming that people are coming from the same place as us and have the same um, paradigm that we live in. But even in a diverse life like America, I mean, it's a melting pot of cultures and not one street is the same as the other. And so I think when you find the thing that triggers you, um, whether it's a way somebody says something or doesn't say something or the way a boss leads, um, you know, not to say everyone is perfect in the way that they're behaving, but I think it does help um, deescalate a lot of things and, and bring us to understanding of the other person when we're willing to ask, hey, what could be the reason they're doing it that way that's different than mine? And oftentimes I think we find that actually they have good intentions. Yeah, I think just to echo a little bit about what Brittany is saying, taking an attitude of curiosity yeah. is a is a real uh, is a real win when facing cross cultural situations. Mm-hmm. And expectations go a long way. So recognizing you're in a cross cultural situation is also really uh, really key to having success in that interaction mm-hmm. or in that situation. So yeah, I think, right. I think if we, if we recognize culture, culture is just a way of living, right? It's a way of way of being, and it represents the values mm-hmm. that, you know, the, every culture represents a set of values. I think even cultures that may on the surface appear really different 
can have the same set of values in common or a similar set of values. Mm -hmm. They just express it differently. And so if you get curious and you ask questions, you'll likely find out that the reason behind an action that seems very strange to you is actually just a different kind of expression of a, of a value that you also value. Yeah. We have a, a anchor thought around here, and that is life doesn't get better by chance. It gets better by change. And many times the change has to come in you. And that's really what we're talking about today. The the ability to address changes and adjusting to new things has really caused you guys to grow. But it happened in you. The change happened in you. I, I just really am impressed today with all the things you went through and have gone through Tell me about, really quickly, about your family. Brittany and I have been married now 10 years, 10 and a half maybe. Yeah. And um, we've got a little boy named Olson. He's almost three. We've got a little baby girl on the way. And um, so we'll soon be a, little, a family of four. We've lived in South Africa for four and a half years. And um, yeah, we... We love each other. We love our family. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you guys uh, spending some time with us to share your story. You feel like family. Um, there's just a real connection with uh, who you guys are. And I want to say thanks for being here, taking the time. We want the best for you. Uh, we'll be praying. We'll be waiting to hear what's going on. If you were a listener today and they wanted to, to kind of find out a little bit more, is there an email or a blog that uh, you would yeah, share? Yeah, absolutely. I can send you the link. You can get a hold of us on email from helloshywees at gmail.com. Our last name is <laughs> a bit complicated to spell, but it is hello, S-C-H-E-I, W E S at gmail.com. Shy we's like we are shy. <laughs> <laughs> Which we found out is not true. Um, so that would be yeah. a, a really good starting place for you then, or for them to use yeah. that email. Okay. Yeah. We, we always love hearing from people and um, in any capacity. So that would be the most direct way to get a hold of us. We also have a landing page. I'll send you the link, Bear. You can paste it there. Uh, it's been great to have you guys on the show today. Once again, congratulations on the new girl coming to town next year. <laughs> Sounds like more changes are coming your way. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and will add a comment or share it with those you know. Till the next episode, this is the My New North Podcast. I am still your host, Barry Scott Young.